Welcome to Luxuries for Your Soul with Alexis Kletchian and Lauren Gold. Every episode is a look at life through the lens of luxury. Whether it's the dismantling of belief systems, pursuing our passions, or standing in our truth, we approach each conversation with genuine curiosity of what it means to have a well-lived life. Today, we are joined by Julie Flaxstead of the Midlife Truth Project. Imagine listening to a series of interviews, a time capsule of thoughts and feelings of how women are experiencing the intersection of their 40s and 50s. These vulnerable shared truths from the Midlife Truth Project, a cross-generational portal of wisdom, will help normalize and reframe what aging looks like today. And just like you, Julie wears many hats in her daily life. In midlife, she has chosen to lead intentionally by surrounding herself with people and experiences that trigger ideas and spark conversation. So if you have ever told yourself, where's my gold medal? Or what happens if I stop racing towards that imaginary finish line? Or maybe you've just looked around and said, wait, where are my people? Through one-to-one conversation, Julie has created a safe space so you never have to be alone in your thoughts, feelings, or perceptions of failure. A pioneer in this space, the midlife conversations will become an invaluable resource for all women as they begin revealing the truth of their lives. And we were so caught up in our chat, we forgot to mention the 90 plus hours of diverse conversations already conducted for the Midlife Truth Project were complimentary. You can still book your one hour with Julie. If evolving friendships, changing family dynamics, financial security, ever changing body awareness in the physical and spiritual sense, hormones or sex have left you feeling tousled. Give yourself permission to be heard, reflect, laugh, and maybe even cry, because that's good too. Nothing is off limits when it comes to dismantling grief, regret, guilt, or shame. You don't have to shut the door. Instead, you can just open it to your new chapter. Enjoy this conversation with Julie Flagstead of the Midlife Truth Project. Does everyone feel comfortable stating their age before we talk about midlife? Oh, of course. I love it. I am 47. Lauren? I am 38. And I am 52. I'm like the wise chicken uh, <laughs> amongst us. Or, I know that's not true. You know, usually sometimes younger people can be even wiser, but it depends on how many lives, how many circles we've done around the earth. True. True. Mm-hmm. Yes. We've got a bunch of old souls here today. Yeah. If I say midlife, what word comes to mind for you? Truth. Hmm. Is that just your one, Julie? You just have one? Oh, I can keep going. I just didn't want to be an air hog. I think about truth. I think about awakening. When I think about midlife, I can feel optimistic, confused, overwhelmed, tousled. Tossled. I like that. Inspired. To me, it's a real juxtaposition. It's a real wide spectrum. And I feel like in any one given day, I can feel all of the emotions from left to right, high to low. Mm -hmm. Lauren? Same. Yes. Just juxtaposition is a good way to describe it. 
So I'm inching to 40, which is freaking me out a lot on one side. And then, but then I also feel like there's a comfort in going into your 40s. Like I, I enjoyed my 30s much more than my 20s. So I'm optimistic that the 40s will be even better. But there is something about, you know, being a mom, the kids are getting older, things are starting to hurt more in the body. <laughs> you know, it's just, it is, it's a little sad. It's like kind of saying goodbye to a chapter, if you will. Did you want to hang on to that chapter? A little bit, yeah. I think it's beautiful to think of life as chapters or stages or acts or, you know, so many people reflect on it differently. And I really believe it's okay and it's appropriate to grieve and to mourn kind of the loss of one chapter or the ending of a chapter. And then, you know, as and allow yourself time to reflect about what that chapter was and become really rooted and grounded about what you want the next chapter to look like. And that is truly what the Midlife Truth Project is about, giving women the opportunity to pause and articulate how they're feeling. Because it's amazing to me how little permission we give ourselves as women to pause and go inward and reflect and say, where am I now? Where have I been? Where am I now? And where am I going? Mm -hmm. So this line on your website captured my interest. Therapy and loads of soul searching to resist racing towards the finish line, but rather slowing down and leading with intention in all areas of my life. What does that mean to you? And how does that inform the midlife project? Well, I think I was raised, you know, I'm the very much the sum of my parts, right? And I think that for most of my life, I kind of trugged along with being very independent, wanting to have hyper control of my life. And really what I was, was <laughs> probably a little girl with a lot of band-aids, you know, taped, taping me up. And I think if I were to be honest with myself, which I try to be, is that I was really going through the motions doing what I believed was the right thing to do or what people expected of me. And I am, you know, that kind of A-type personality. I do, for I did for so long believe in the gold medals. I really thought <laughs> like that, like when I got to heaven, they're going to be like, yeah, you did it. Like here's like not one, but two, but three or four gold medals just for you, you know, whether it be for natural childbirth or whether it be for getting a graduate degree or you know, having a house with a white picket fence. But what I have realized in pausing at the intersection of my 40s and 50s is that there are no gold medals. And when we let go of that, when I let go of that, I realized it was as if I found all these different paths, all these different opportunities. It was as if, you know, kind of the Wizard of Oz, you go from black and white to technicolor. You know, you're like, <laughs> oh my God, wait, I can do all of that. Like, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I am very attracted to visual cues. And so for me, letting go of this gold medal syndrome has been, I almost, I feel the levity. I don't feel weighted down um, by the medals that I've achieved, so-called achieved. I've just like taken them off. I feel lighter in my soul. Did you have an aha that led you to say, I don't need these medals anymore? 
I wish I could say there was one moment that was the aha moment where I kind of threw the medals <laughs> off and ran naked through the forest. But um, sadly, no, <laughs> that was not the case. I think it has been a process of adulting and coming mm -hmm. to doing the work, going inward. I think one of my favorite things to think about is that you're you know, the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, or, or you're the average of like the content you absorb. And I think when you begin to do that work, that was like an epiphany for me that, yeah, I don't, there is no, there's no gold medal. There's no one way. There's no right way. Did you feel sad when you realized there was no finish line? No one there clapping saying you did it, you made it. I think I was a little sad. Or I, if I think about it now, no one's asked me that before. And I've seen a lot of therapists, so they should have asked me that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but they, they didn't ask me that question. I'm a big believer in all forms of therapy. Um, let me just put that out there to the world. I think I am a little bit sad that maybe I spent too much of my life believing in the gold medals when maybe I would have become more self-aware earlier if I hadn't been so traditional in my thoughts. Mm. Yeah, the process of becoming is interesting. <laughs> mm. Yeah, we're never done, right? And that's, no. that is what I'm giving myself a little bit of grace these days is to say, I'm so far from done. I'm just beginning. And I am taking all of the things that I've learned and like in this amazing toolkit and saying, so what now? That's pretty delicious. <laughs> Going back to what you said about natural childbirth, just out of curiosity, since that wasn't that long ago for me, what was it that made you feel like that's something that you had to do? Well, let me clarify. I did not have a natural childbirth. I think for me back in, this was now going back 17, 18 years ago, when I had my first child, I felt this sense of that I had to, I didn't want a C-section. Like that was, I mean, I, as crazy as it sounds, I felt like that would have been a failure, you know? And I mean, hello, of course that's not, there's so many reasons why a C-section is an important consideration to take. But for me, I just felt like I had to have that child come through, uh, that hole for lack of a scientific <laughs> word. And I felt a tremendous pressure to breastfeed. Oh, that was another, that was as a Nordic, as a Scandinavian, you know, it was just, it's kind of, there's no other way. And so it was so hard for me. I remember getting a doula and I remember being in so much pain and I remember feeling I had to accomplish this and I had to be successful and that child had to latch and they had to ideally breastfeed for a full 12 months. Otherwise, what, you know, <laughs> I would have failed. And that is, again, just a lot of pressure to put on yourself as a woman. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. I didn't breastfeed. I didn't think about it for one second. Mm. I was like, no, mm -mm. Mm. no, thank yeah. you. You know what? Well, good for you. Yeah. You have a different, you have a different relationship with guilt, Alexis, than I think you're very lucky in that sense. I don't think you carry guilt as much as at least I do. Because what Julie just said, I completely resonates with me. I felt like I was a failure because 
it was, you know, I had to do formula and breastfeed. And then I kept thinking, okay, well, do I have to breastfeed for a year? And then there are women out there that can breastfeed for three years and have like a freezer full of extra breast milk. And I'm, I was constantly like, well, what am I doing wrong that I don't have a freezer full of breast, you know, it, yeah. But you don't, yeah, I feel like you don't carry around that guilt. I carried that with me. I really felt sort of mom shamed in my own that I did to myself. But yeah, I think guilt is a choice, right? Like you're going to let that take up space and carry with you. And then when you get to the next act of your life or the final act of your life, and then you look back and you think, well, I just wasted so much time thinking about those things that, that just, they didn't matter overall in the grand scheme of things. I know we're talking about midlife, but when I had my children, my whole thing was, how do I survive this? How do I feel good? How do I have a compatible relationship with my husband and be a new mom, which I've nobody knows how to do and not really have that family support either or have some family support that has a whole lot of opinion. Mm -hmm. So I said, how do I survive this moment? That's always my mentality. I'm not saying I'm a me first person. I'm not saying I'm a selfish person. We need to come out on the other side. I just celebrated 19 years of, you know, a beautiful marriage and it just gets better every day. And to bring it back to guilt, I think and the midlife truth project in this chapter and that, you know, kind of entering into midlife, I will say, I do think that there is a significant amount of guilt that women feel when they do get to this stage in their life. And I don't know if exactly where guilt turns into shame or if shame turns into self-doubt or regret. I think that they're all kind of feelings mm. that like, are blurry, like the lines are a little bit blurred about what label I would put on it. But, mm -hmm. and that's why I felt that it's so important to have women have the opportunity to share their truth. Ultimately, I'm passionate about revealing the truths of women's lives. And so Lauren, when you talk about, you know, how you felt when you were pregnant, I want to reveal all truths. I want to reveal how women feel about things so that we put less shame around it so we can be more vulnerable and open around it so that we can support and empower each other and learn from it so that we don't go down that rabbit hole again. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like somehow I've gotten to a stage in my life where I'm able to lead with my own vulnerability as an opportunity to open the conversation up to other women. So whether it be about okay, I have, you know, guilt or shame that my career looks more like an EKG than it does a rise to Mount Everest, or I have shame or guilt, or I question like, do I have enough sex in midlife? Is the sex in my life good enough? You know, I, that's one topic, by the way, that I think is so under talked about for, I don't know if I said that appropriately, but it's one of those things that I think women really should come together about because people have, I, I know in the conversations that I've had that there is shame associated with what women's sex lives look like. And there's so much judgment that goes along with it that people just, women just don't, aren't open about it as much as I think we could be as a community. In your twenties, I feel like with your girlfriends, you talk about sex and you know, it's, it's fun and you're sharing stories and all of that. And then all of a sudden the conversations just stop. We never talk about it. We never, you know, share yeah. how we're feeling. 
it's strange. I was just thinking about that the other day. Like I miss those conversations, but I'm not sure I would know how to start them even with my closest friends. It's almost like once you get married, it feels like it's off limits to talk about. And really it's more important to talk about it. It is so true, Lauren. Everything you just said, you just hit the nail on the nose, you know? And, and why is that? Right. I mean, I bring it back to midlife. This is a time in our lives where there is such dramatic shifts in how we feel physically, emotionally, and spiritually because of, you know, what's happening with our hormones in conjunction with perimenopause and menopause. And that affects, you know, our relationships with our spouse or our partners. It affects the relationships we have with our children, our friends, evolving friendships, our parents. And it definitely can affect our sexuality in terms of how physically it feels, how emotionally it feels. And it is something that I personally have felt so alone in my own thoughts. I wouldn't say crippling, but really just lonely and sad. And that's, again, one of the reasons why I started the Midlife Truth Project is because I decided that nobody should go through this transition. No one should face all of these waves that come crashing over you alone. So if somebody out there didn't have, you know, doesn't have someone to share their truth with, well, guess what? You can book an hour with me and share it. And I'll ask you the questions and you can get it out there and, and take it from your heart and put it out so you can actually say the words out loud so you can actually look at it, touch it, feel it, smell it. Can you share with our listeners some of the questions that you ask the women that you speak with in the Midlife Truth Project? The way that the project is set up is that I try to explore what I now have validated to be some of the biggest tectonic shifts in a woman's life and midlife, which are evolving friendship is one, changing family dynamics is two, aging parents as another tectonic shift, financial security, what's happening to your body, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in conjunction with perimenopause and menopause, and wait for it, (laughs) the bigger question of what's next, right? Who are you today and how is she different than who she was? What's important to her and where is she going? And so those are really the themes that I talk about more than questions. Mm -hmm. And then depending on the answers, I might delve deeper into one certain area if something feels particularly raw. Yeah, I did your interview. I don't remember what my responses were. Do you have any handy? I don't have any handy. We cried though. <laughs> well, that's the beauty, right? Is like, yeah. and if, if I were, I should have gone back and, and watched it. You were one of the first interviews I did, by the way. You know, I think I've done, yeah. you know, upwards of 75 interviews. So I have like, you know, 90 hours of footage or something. Wow. But that's the beautiful thing is that I, not only did you cry, I cried. I'm yeah. a crier. Okay, first of all, and I've learned to let myself just like, just be a crier, just like lean into that. It's like releases cortisol. It's so healthy. I will say that this project has given me so much in terms of what a gift to be able to connect with individuals from around the country and talk about things that are so important and raw and beautiful. I remember you talking about your marriage and your spouse being your best friend. And I remember you talking about other aspect with your children and what it feels like to see them fly. 
And that is, it's a really special conversation. And if I, and I really do believe when I know, because women have told me afterwards how thankful they were because they hadn't really given themselves time to really go inward and think to the extent that they did on all these different themes. Yeah. So you're 75 interviews and and originally your goal was 100, right? It is. Now, you know, goals change. And what I love is that I'm not keeping it in a box. Mm -hmm. What's really important to me is that I have a sense of diversity, diversity when it comes to geographic diversity, socioeconomic diversity, racial, gender. I really want to be able to represent a wide set of of women, if you will. And so I probably could have been at 350 interviews by now, but I'm trying to be a little bit selective to make sure that I have a nice cross-selection. Yeah. But I am still taking interviews and I'm not capping it at 100. I'm not saying, no, it's over. I'm going to do this project for as long as it is helpful to others and therapeutic for myself. Have you decided how you're going to use these interviews? I know that originally you said, I'm going to have these interviews and then I'm going to see where it goes. Is it taking shape yet? Yeah, it's super exciting. So I just want to add one point because I think it's so fun that Lauren is like right on the intersection of 30s and 40s is that I really hope that in the different mediums that will tap into the Midlife Truth Project, my real hope is that there's some cross-generational wisdom there so that women who are at the intersection of their 30s and 40s, that they know that these waves are coming. They know that friendships are going to evolve as their kids grow up. They know that their relationships with their spouse or partner are going to change, that how they mother, that definition will extend itself that they know that these waves are coming, whether they come, you know, one month, like, or they come crashing down all at once, like they are going to leave you feeling tousled. And so if we know that they're coming, it allows you to get more rooted, more grounded to maybe do some of that inner work ahead of time. So you don't feel as shaken and as dismantled as I think some women do feel as they enter into midlife. So that's regardless of whether it's a book or a TED talk or a docu or whatever, I have failed if this learning, these themes don't reach women who are 35 plus or 25 plus for that matter. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, sorry to be long-winded, is my immediate goal right now is that as a writer, I'm really trying to capture some of these themes in articles. So I just recently was published in Maria Shriver's Sunday paper. And that article was about finding your people. And it came from a thought kernel that I had about friendship and an exercise that I did in a workshop. But what I found in all of my interviews is that one of the main themes in midlife is that friendship matters. The women have less time for surface level friendship, and they are prioritizing more meaningful connections with friends where they can be their authentic self. Fine. So the article really talks about who are your people and how do you find them? So as a writer, so through articles, continuing to write is one way that these interviews will manifest. I'm also pitching a documentary and that is on 
midlife and menopause. So it's actually using menopause as an on-ramp to talk about the broader midlife story, which I fundamentally believe so many people are missing the point. Everyone talks about menopause as like the zeitgeist right now, right? Which is wonderful, right? Because we really need to unpack that for women and correct so many historical taboos associated with menopause. But there is a bigger story here about midlife, right? And so we need to talk about what a challenging yet also expansive time it is for women. Expansive how? Can you share more on that? Because when you said we're missing the point, what is the point in your view? The point is that we need to recognize that it is a time in our lives where so much is shifting. Mm -hmm. We need to give ourselves grace and kind of experiencing that and allowing ourselves to pause and reflect into like what Lauren was saying, kind of grieve a little bit about what we're saying goodbye to Mm -hmm. so that we can truly look ahead and look forward to what is coming and what we're embarking upon. And I will say, if someone had to put me against a wall and say, would you say that these interviews are like, you know, kind of depressing or positive? I would say, without a shadow of a doubt, they are positive. Women are talking, are feeling inspired. They're feeling their strongest healthiest selves and their most creative parts of themselves are being unleashed and they are exploring all new avenues and are are truly excited about this, you know, call it second, third, fourth, whatever you want to label it act. Mm -hmm. So yeah, lots to be told there. I love how you say to grieve because even what you're saying about friendship, I was thinking Mm -hmm. there are a lot of friendships that I'm sad that I don't have them anymore, but just due to life and, you know, everything gets busy and you really, as women, especially we have a finite, we have a select amount of time that we're able to give to friendships. And there are a lot of them that in my past, I don't want to say like in the past five or six years, I've really had to sort of grieve that they don't really exist anymore. And it's nice that you say that because it is, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's true. You know, my mom, I don't know, Alexis, if you've met my mom, but... Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> so, okay, full disclosure for the people at listening. Uh, my mother lives and my sister live in the same town as, as Alexis. So, but my mom is a hoot and a holler. And she, but <laughs> she gave me a really nice piece of advice back when I was in my early 20s. And she said, you don't ever have to shut the door on a friendship. And so... I have really done an inventory of my friendships over the past three to five years. As I talk about in this article that I wrote for the Sunday paper, I qualify a lot of my friendships as either oak trees, flowers, or weeds. (laughs) And the story is in the article. But that being said, I... will link to that in the show notes so people can read it. Okay, great. It's been helpful for people. And in fact, my life coach, Paige Nolan... She's an amazing friend of mine, lives out in LA. She's the one who told me the story about the oak trees, flowers, and the weeds. And I'm sure she probably heard it from somebody else. Like it's just this kind of thing that keeps on giving. But it allows us to look at a friendship and better understand where she falls at any given point in time. And you need, you know, your your friendships are a garden, right? And there's a role for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so 
I don't believe that we have to toss them out or throw them away. We can just like leave, like that's just might be a weed that's in the garden for right now. And we can close the door on it. We don't have to look at it. We can instead veer our attention towards the beautiful flowers and the towering strong oak trees. Can you give us a scenario where you shut the door and then you've reopened the door? Good question. I think if I were to be honest, I don't think I have one that like really comes to mind. I I do have an example of someone who I shut the door, who I very consciously broke up with as a friend, but my heart is open to them. I think that's the best place I could come. Now, this was a friend who I'd known most of my adult life and I had shared tremendous experiences with all over the world. And for a variety of reasons, our friendship ebbed and flowed until finally I felt that no matter what I did, it was never enough. And I was never meeting that friend's expectations. And I walked away from every conversation feeling small and that I wasn't giving anything to that person. In fact, I was leaving them sad. And I I finally just had to come clean and say, "I, I don't think I'm serving you in the way that you want to be served in terms of your friendship. It's not good. It's not healthy for me. So I had to set boundaries there. And by doing so, the door was closed. But, you know, subsequently, you can say what you want about social media, but I I do reach out and congratulate them and cheer them on from the sidelines. And my heart is open to their long-term happiness. That's so wonderful that you were brave enough and strong enough to set boundaries, though. It's very hard to do. It is. But I think as we get older, one of the things I have heard so many women say that resonates with me is that you just don't have time for bullshit anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Time is finite. Mm -hmm. Time is finite. By saying yes to things, we say no to other things. By saying no to things, we say yes to things. And I do believe that we are the average of the people that we surround ourselves by. And there's no room in our lives for people who are making us feel terrible about ourselves. No, Mm -mm. no room for that. No. Period. Drop the Mm -hmm. mic. (laughs) Not happening. So two questions. What was so affirming for you to hear over and over again? And then what's something that completely surprises you that people say? I would say that there's so many things that are affirming. It would be po- mm. impossible to say one, but I'll just, I'll mention one that I do believe and that people say in, in, in different ways is that, you know, age is a mindset mm-hmm. and that, you know, when I ask a question in the Midlife Truth Project, which is how old are you and how old do you feel? Uh. And the responses are all over the map. You know, some people are like, oh my God, I feel like I'm 18. And some people are like, and I'm, you know, and I'm 52. And other people say, I'm 46, but I feel like 72 today, you know? I feel like I'm 84. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Uh, it's true. But then a song can come on in the kitchen and you're dancing and you're like, and you feel like you're 20. Uh I think that's an interesting question. And I think that people always come back to, it's not how I feel. It's more, it's not how I feel in my body. It's how I feel in my mind. Mm -hmm. And there is a shift and underneath that umbrella, that ages and mindset, I think that there's a real cognitive shift of how do I look versus how do I feel? Yeah. People let go of this, you know, ideal beauty and are really more focused in how do I feel emotionally, 
spiritually and physically, they're more connected with how they feel than how they look. And that's a beautiful thing to hear people say. And I think as a country, as a world, we need to foster that more Mm -hmm. and more, even with our young girls. On the same note, in terms of ages of mindset, I think there is a real focus on women getting strong, like literally strong, like physically strong. Because people say again and again, I'm feeling stronger, I'm healthier. It's about health span, not lifespan. Mm -hmm. And so again, that whole age is a mindset. Like it doesn't matter if you are 46 or 56. How do you feel? Do you feel strong? And, you know, that I think is, is a really important thing that I've been really inspired by. And then you asked, what have I been surprised by? I think I've been surprised by <laughs> like the status quo of relationships and partnerships. By that, I mean spousal or second marriages, third marriages, just the, the gamut. Like the real, like the variety that there's, I feel like I'm like in one way, a voyeur into people's lives because I hear about their divorces. I hear about women who were heterosexual that are now a lesbian. I had an interview a few months ago with a woman who was with her lifelong partner, her best friend who came out of the closet and is now a gay man, but they are maintaining their marital relationship because they love each other and they're best friends and they don't want to be married to anybody else. And then you've got stories of people whose relationships are growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And then people who are miserable mm-hmm. and trying to figure out desperately how they're going to get out. Like, And so that has shocked me. Like it's the technicolor rainbow in terms of where people are in their, in their personal lives and their relationships. But also like people are excited. Like I'm finally, I'm back with my husband again. We're having the best time ever, you know? Empty nesting. <laughs> we're, no, they're free birding. They're like, I've had an empty nester. I'm flying free. But it's really just that for, it's been an awakening to realize that people are on all aspects of the spectrum in terms of their relationships. And some are really scared and lonely and are not with anybody. And wondering what that looks like as they grow old, that they never thought that they would be alone, but yet they are. That surprised me. I don't know why it does, but it does. And sex, sex surprised me. Let's talk about Um, sex. Let's talk about sex. What's Um, the most surprising thing that, you know, besides switching, I don't even know what the appropriate way to say this, but that's, that is surprising for anyone. It is. And it's certainly not like the common denominator in the interviews that I've had. There's been a small handful. Look, I think most women, it's not shocking to most women to believe, you know, when we, when people say lesbian sex is like the best sex you can have, like when you think about it, it's not that surprising, right? Because they get the toolbox, they have it, you know, like they, <laughs> they have the same equipment. So that kind of makes sense to that sense. But I think more like just, just talking about sex in general, I think sex and midlife are, it's really complicated. And that's something I want to explore more in kind of, again, going back to my passion is revealing the truths of women's lives. I want to more talk more openly about sex because one of the things that happens in midlife in conjunction with perimenopause and menopause is that our ovaries stop producing hormones, right? 
most importantly, estrogen and progesterone as just two of a whole symphony of hormones that our ovaries produce. And as a result, you know, we can experience low libido, we can experience painful sex. I'm not a doctor, but like the interior lining of our vagina starts to atrophy and it's like real, right? It's <laughs> making a sad face right now. I know, I know. <laughs> I didn't know that. Look, no, oh my God. Girlfriend, this is why we're having this conversation. I didn't know you about need the vagina thing. That's awful. Yeah. It's called atrophy. I mean, it's an awful word, atrophy. Word. Like your earlobe, because of collagen, your earlobe sag and your mm-hmm. fucking vagina sags. But not only that, one day you'll put on a pair of pants and you'll just be like, my vagina does not like this pants anymore. And that's sad too. (laughs) You'll just have bad days. My husband's like, how many bad days does your vagina have? I'm like, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But look, I am here to tell you, I and this is part of this documentary that um, we're working on right now or we're incubating, is that the difference between my generations is like, you know, 10 short <laughs> years, Lauren. vagina. <laughs> no, Everyone else would be interesting. Vagina. Like, let's all see our vaginas. Let's take a mirror and show them. Um, is that your generation, Lauren, is going to have so much more information mm-hmm. about how to prepare for perimenopause and menopause in terms of hormone replacement therapy, vaginal estrogen, pelvic floor, there's like an enormous amount of information out there for you. You're going to be psyched. You're probably not going to have vaginal atrophy. You're probably not going to have painful sex or low libido. Okay. Hello. You're psyched. You're psyched. You're on this podcast right now because (laughs) you're going to be like, that's right. You're going to go smooth sailing through it. Unlike me who had to, I just finished writing an article called the five things I wish I knew known about hormones because I'm angry that I didn't have the resources. My doctor, my gynecologist did not tell me what was really going on. And that now at 52, I'm going to come out of the closet right now. I mean, not sexually, but I'm, I'm four years postmenopausal. I started hormone therapy 10 days ago, 10 days ago, because I'm like, I've learned so much and you know what? It's not too late. In fact, I'm going to hopefully see the benefits of that, not just from, again, all, all the 32 different symptoms that go along with menopause that can last for 10 years, but also all the bone health, the cognitive benefits, the neurological benefits, the cardiovascular benefits. I mean, it's really, it's pretty amazing. So we can take that offline, Lauren. I'm, I'm a, I've become a vault of knowledge on the subject. I love this. <laughs> this is just out of curiosity. Do you take or do you take collagen supplements? I do. I do. I take the collagen peptides every morning in my coffee. So I take, I think it's like two tablespoons. I take a variety of different supplements. Like I take Nutrafol for hair, but collagen is a real, sorry, as I'm twisting my hair around. No, you have beautiful hair. No, I, oh, I should have taken a shower, but you told me we weren't going to be on camera. So I didn't, didn't care. Um, <laughs> but I do, there's a lot. Collagen is a real thing. You do lose collagen as you age and also, you know, as you go, particularly as you enter into menopause. But there, again, there's a lot of treatments that you can look into to help spur collagen regrowth. You are a very active woman. You exercise, (laughs) you socialize, you travel. Did that help you at all through the change? The menopausal change, I should say. Keeping your mood regular and your diet. So I will say, and it's on the heels of writing this article, I really had to go inward and 
catalog that journey. All right. So by definition, you are menopausal the day that you have gone 12 months without a period. And every moment after that day, you are postmenopausal. So uh, leading up until that day where yeah. you are 12 months period free, you are perimenopausal. Mm -hmm. The average age is 51. And so, so by being average, many people are above 51 and people are below. I think it's like 51 or 52. But for me, I was like 46 or 47. And I felt very alone. I did not feel like I could talk to anyone. And I am an extroverted person, but I just felt very, very alone. So what I found, and I did not, I'm astounded by the lack of information that I got from my doctor, my primary care physician, that is. I'm astounded that my beloved OBGYN, really looking back, was pretty, I mean, I love her so much, but like a little bit useless on this subject. Everyone out there should know that only 25% of OBGYNs are certified in menopause. 25%. Wow. The other 75%, the other 75% get about, like, I don't know, I think I've been told like it's around 20 hours of education on menopause in their, I don't know, six years of medical school, seven years of medical, 20 hours. That okay? has to change, right? It's such a big conversation right now. Anyway, so it's, and it will, I mean, but it's not surprising, right? When you look at that, like 2% of biopharma goes to women's health. Like it's just, it's a completely patriarchal medical system, right? It is just starting to not, I wouldn't say change, but it, we're just the conversation, the doors have been open. Mm -hmm. And so the conversations are happening and things will ultimately change that I am sure. And that is what is interesting about the Midlife Truth Project, again, is I really don't try to take up time with people in the interview. It's not my story. That The full hour for, is a story about them. But at the end, I do say, and I try to veer them towards information and resources that might be helpful if they are of those that are suffering with perimenopause and menopause. I was going to ask you if you keep in touch with your people that you interview. So, you know, I have these big grandiose ideas of how I'm going to do that. And some people have been active and staying in touch with me just because of the sheer numbers. And I'm a real like kind of one-to-one -one girl. I haven't like figured out like what's like my one newsletter drop once a month to them because I also don't want to just put stuff in people's inboxes just to put stuff in people's inboxes. Yeah. Like I did, I pitched myself to on this amazing topic of perimenopause and midlife I pitched myself for South by Southwest, which is an amazing thought leadership conference in mm -hmm. Austin. And I reached out to all of my, of my midlife truth gang and asked them, let them know and said, look, I'd love your support and a few other things, but, but it'll come. It'll come. This is just the beginning of the conversation. Again, I'm passionate about revealing the truths of women's lives. And this is only going to continue. There's more truth to be told, more truth to be shared, more wisdom to be had. Can we go back to the word? Tousled. Tousled. Say it for me. Tousled. Tousled. I'm Tousled. phenomenal at pronouncing things. Everyone should know this by now. <laughs> when you feel tousled, what is your go-to? How do you pick yourself back up? When I feel tousled, I put myself in nature. I believe we're a tiny little speck in the big, like in the big mm -hmm. wild world of, of things. And it's so easy to be tousled by something that happens with one of our kids or at work or by an, you know, unexpected bill or you have so many things, right? And I just feel that whether you can just take a few minutes and go take a walk or go sit out in the sunshine 
or go like pick some tomatoes from the yard or, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got, <laughs> I was about to say something, but I'm not going to say, um, you know, just put yourself outside and breathe and know Were you going to have sex yeah. in your garden? Is that what you were going to say? <laughs> no, that's another funny story. Uh, <laughs> we should, I, there's so many funny stories we could talk about. I think you and I, um, but, um, you know, I, I just believe, I believe in picking flowers and I will just say, I don't want, I hope my neighbors don't know, but you know, my, my perennials have like kind of stopped coming up. So like every once in a while at night, if I'm feeling a little bit much, I'll like take out my little scissors and I'll go walk the dog, snip, snip from a yard here or there. And I come home with like three or four flowers and put them in a vase. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, my friend who went walking with me the other day was like, I can't believe you're stealing flowers. I'm like, they have like 400. Like they're not going to miss these three. <laughs> bringing me so much joy (laughs) (laughs) you're a closet thief (laughs) i am a closet thief i can't help it my headphones just died so if this gets a little wonky forgive me i just heard no no (laughs) but i will say though you asked a question i didn't answer it about how i got through menopause and i will just for people listening out there first of all do your homework and find out whether hormone replacement therapy is an option for you I think there's a lot out there and I really do think it can be very highly effective, again, based on your risk profile. But for me, I took a radical look at my health and wellness regime and it was not a quick fix. It was a slow journey, probably two, three intense years and then not hard, but just just modifying, modifying, modifying. And it's a total lifestyle change. What were you modifying? I was modifying particularly exercise. Cardio is not your friend. When you enter into perimenopause and menopause and you're like, oh my God, like you feel like you're like gaining a little bit of weight and you feel puffy and you feel like not ground. You feel just like, again, tousled. You feel just not centered. It's easy to be like, I'm just going to go for that run or I'm going to go like hot yoga class or I'm going to go do that, you know, Peloton, 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 Peloton. No, no, no. Wrong. Hmm. It's actually really being highly selective and making sure that you, yes, you can do a cardio hit, you can get your heart rate up, but it's incredibly important that you bring, get your body down to parasympathetic, that you breathe, that you're doing, you know, more breathing, exercising, stretching, weight training, less cardio, more weights. And then with really weaving in there, the breath work and the relaxation. It's so important. Less cardio, less cardio. And in terms of nutrition, oh my gosh, it's unbelievable how modifying your diet can regulate your hormone. From the oil, like that, my, my entire pantry now, it's like yummy. Like, don't get me wrong. I lo- nobody loves you know food more than me, but I just have totally eradicated all, ba- all bad oils from my diet. Mm-hmm. I've totally found replacements for a lot of the, you know, kind of, you know, processed foods and simple carbohydrates. Like it's just, it's not hard. It's not brain surgery, not hard. In fact, I would say it's relatively easy, but it's as if I felt like someone put a pin in me. I'm just not that puffy. And it's just because of all the shit that's in our food. Yeah. What do you put in your coffee? I put much to, you know, a certain somebody's chagrin. So I put that's 
they're excited about the collagen peptides. And then I put like coffee and then I put I froth oat milk, mm. but oat milks are not all created equal. There's a lot yeah. of guar gum in, in oat milk. And, and there is seed. Some, yeah. So you have to find the one I use Elmhurst. It's like the only one that I use, huh. but there is a tiny bit of cane sugar in there, which I don't care. I yeah. like my coffee. Um, yeah. I, I don't care about like a little bit of cane sugar in there, but it doesn't have all the gums. Okay. Elmhurst. I've not seen that one. It's hard. I order it on Amazon. I order it a case at a time. I'll send you the link. Yeah. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes also. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then the other thing is I'm a real big believer in keeping it simple. I take, it's a little expensive, but again, if you look at all the bullshit that you spend money on, it's like a drop in the bucket. I have drank athletic greens. My protocol in the morning is I wake up, I have lukewarm lemon water with a little bit of an electrolyte in there. Okay, that's my first eight ounces. Take it down while I'm making the coffee in the drip machine. Then I have the coffee with the oat milk and the collagen peptides. Then I put my athletic greens, I mix it, I put it in the fridge. I go do a little bit of a half an hour movement, a little stretch, a little weights. And then I come back and I have my athletic greens. Hands down, easy breezy. And I'm set up for success. By that point, I've already had like 20 ounces of water. And then I drank this puppy, which is another 64. I wow. really have to start drinking more water. That's a lot of yeah. water. Yeah. I just oh, got yeah. a new water bottle the other day and I feel good about it and I carry it from room to room with me. Do you drink it, yeah. Alexis? Or do you just I'm working carry it on around? It. Yeah, I'm working <laughs> on it. There's a lot of carrying around. Bring it with me in the car. It does not fit in the cup holders. So I have to shove it in the side of the door, but you know, it's with me. Julie, what brand of collagen peptides do you purchase, if you don't mind me asking, because I've done a lot of research on vitamins and supplements, and I feel like a lot of them seem like they're full of not great stuff. It's hard to know. Oh, well, maybe you could tell me if I'm drinking the wrong one. I use uh, the one in the blue like plastic tub, which I hate that it's plastic, and I hate they don't have a refillable thing. The vital something? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. No, that has gotten good reviews, and I haven't heard anything bad. I'm just always afraid to buy it because you never, I don't know. Whatever no. Jennifer Aniston uses, right? <laughs> and I will say, I went to Costco the other day and they sold it at Costco. And oh. I know for many of your listeners that are local to you guys, Alexa, I have to just say, like, I give thanks to the people who have helped me along the way. And Christine Scripsack from your area has been probably one, I would say, a pillar in my health village for getting me on track. Oh. I would just tell everybody out there. So I live, for those people who don't know, I'm from Connecticut, and this woman happens to be in Pennsylvania. She could be in freaking Nebraska. It wouldn't matter, right? Because in the world in which we live, you can tap into resources anywhere in the world. She has been offered nutritional education, my health and wellness education, fitness education for me that has transformed my well-being, for sure, hands down. Great. Yeah. I need to cut out some things in my life, but. You know. yeah, but don't give yourself grief. Yeah. So yeah. you asked me that one of the things that I also think is interesting about midlife is that I think that I really want women to feel that's why having these conversations is that we're not alone. Nobody's going through this alone. And it's all the more we can support each other and be vulnerable the more we can feel comforted. We need to build a world in which we can lead with our vulnerabilities and not be judged by them. 
So mm-hmm. another one that has come up like sex, I talked about sex, right? I think alcohol oh, and yes. is, is a really, really powerful conversation. And I'm, I'm drafting another article right now called, oops, I drink too much. And <laughs> um, which is how I feel many mornings. And it's complicated. Our relationships with food and alcohol is complicated. And I think we need to, I think people like Annie Grace, I'm just listening to a lot of her work on the naked mind. I think she's, I think there's a lot of powerful people in certain niches like this that are opening the doors to conversations about sex, opening the doors to about our our relationship with alcohol. And I do what we will benefit as a peoplehood, the more we can kind of listen and share. My mom had a drinking problem and I don't really know how serious it became, but because of that, because of watching her spin out of control and just not realizing how hurtful, how limiting she was being to herself. I have a very healthy relationship now with drinking. I just, I just can't. You can't. I can drink socially, but I just, I don't like it. I don't like that feeling of being out of control. And it's not even like a let go, you know, you should enjoy yourself. I just don't find that enjoyable and you don't feel good, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's powerful to recognize that and be able to action it. I think a lot of women are not there yet. They're using it as an ability to self-soothe. And I believe I have a sneaking suspicion that is particularly in midlife, people are using it to soothe some of the hormone imbalance that they're experiencing. And that can lead you down a bad rabbit hole because it's only actually making your hormones more volatile. Right. And something that also comes with that, if I happen to have a cocktail or a glass of wine, my kids are like, whoa, what's the special occasion? Whoa, mom's going to drink. And that pisses me off because I think like, dude, you have no idea. Yeah. Well, I think we can do our kids a favor. I think it would be helpful. I think it's helpful for our kids to see us as human beings. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's important that, first of all, you know, we do drink in the house. I probably drink more than I should. But I do talk very openly about, to my children, about the fact that my father was an alcoholic and that he died of cirrhosis. And I talk to my kids about that I have a complicated relationship with alcohol and that I have very strict rules for myself because I recognize that alcoholism is hereditary. Thank you. And that I have to be very mindful. And so I do, you know, because I, I, they're at the age now where they're experimenting. And there have been times when I have also said to them, you know what? I had one glass too many wine last night. I shouldn't have said that. I think the only thing we can do for our kids, the same thing if, if you lose your temper and you're, you know, stone cold sober is to say, yeah, yeah you know, I made a mistake. Like I yeah. lost my shit last night. Yeah. And I apologize for how I communicated that. But I actually don't apologize for what I meant to say, which was you can't do X, Y, and Z. I think you can apologize for your behavior, not necessarily the content. So I think it's important. And again, that is the power of midlife is coming to terms with, is giving yourself more grace, realizing that we're all flawed. We've got strengths and weaknesses Mm -hmm. and leading by example. Like that's wisdom, right? Yeah. Accountability is such an important lesson to teach kids. Yeah, totally. Agreed. And when it comes to alcohol and other things, 
in my personal opinion, and my dad had an alcohol issue as well. I feel like it's just about checking in with yourself all of the time, like giving yourself grace to have fun and drink too much with your girlfriends and have that outlet. That's as long as it's safe and everything. But then, you know, if that's happening for four days in a row, you know, like let's take a beat and check in and just make sure like, well, why are you drinking so much or what's going on? At least, you know, that's sort of what I tried to do with myself. You know, you, I mean, that's such a good point. I went to an event with Lisa Demore. Do you know who she is? She's an author of a, an amazing book called Untangled. It's about raising adolescent girls. And she said exactly that, Lauren. She said, when it comes to guidance to our young adults about drinking or other experimentation is to say, you know, look, I'm not against fun, but I love you. And if you <laughs> are going to do something like I drink, when I drink, I am at home. I'm in the safety of my own home. I'm not getting into a car and I'm not going anywhere. Right. I'm in a safe environment where I can enjoy this glass of wine. So if you're going to have an alcoholic beverage, I want you in a safe environment. My daughter happens to be spending the semester in Barcelona. And I was like, I love you. I'm not against fun, but I love you. And you can't be at a club in Barcelona and not have all your senses completely awake. Like you cannot have an alcoholic beverage and be there and be your age that you can't. Yeah. So you got to be one or the other. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm stressed for you now that you said that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Oh, it's true. There's a lot of learning. Yeah, a lot of a lot of appreciation and learning um, to be had. And again, just oh, trying to open the door and give people a platform to be able to take it all in. I love how you've said a couple of times so far that you have given yourself grace because that was my word or one of my words of the year. And one of my goals was to give myself grace. And I think I'm doing a pretty good job, but it is, it's hard. It really is hard. We're just trying so hard again, back to the gold, to bring it full circle, this gold medal, you know, ideological thought process or is that just has to be just so it doesn't have to be just so. And I think we're doing our families and ourselves a favor by saying, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. You know? I hate that saying. Oh, doing the best I can? Yeah. I'm like, do better. <laughs> so interesting that you say that. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Good time, Alexis, over here. <laughs> no, no. Listen, I have this expression. I have this expression. It's not my expression. It's my husband's expression. And I really kind of, really, I have a love-hate relationship with it. And it's to that point, like do better. It's mm. in our house, my husband's mantra for his like team, whatever is earned, not given. Ah, uh, yeah. 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 My husband says something like that too. I love he, that. Like, really, he like really pounds it into the kids' heads too. Like, oh, yeah. congratulations. That was earned, not given. You know, like it's very manly, you know. But there is a part of me that like as a woman who sometimes has to put on that really kind of those like strong, confident errors to like get stuff done is I do say to myself more and more, that was earned, not given. Mm-hmm. That Like that is not by chance. And I worked hard for that and good job. And to your point about like, do better. You know, like I always call it the good, bad, and the ugly at the end of every kind of event or meeting or program or whatever family. I'm like, good, bad, and the ugly. What was good mm-hmm. and what was bad and what was really ugly and how can I redo it next time? Mm-hmm. Um, So I think we all should strive to do better. But in moments when we're feeling small, 
be tender, give oh, yourself yeah. grace and say, you know what? 70% is going to have to be fine today. Yeah. I always say to my kids, like tomorrow's a new day, hmm. right? I don't have to love it. I don't have to accept it. Hmm. And neither do you, but tomorrow's a new day. So what are you going to do tomorrow that's different from today? Hmm. Beautiful. Really beautiful. I just get looked at with like, oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) We have some classic end of episode questions. Okay, I love it. Do it. Is there anything else you want to get in before we? I guess the last thing I would say is, and as cliche as it sounds, it really is true. Time is finite. Like it really is. All we have is today, right? You know, like, and whether it's with our kids or be with our spouse or partner or a colleague, just, you know, I just try as best we can to be present, you know? Yeah. I hear a lot of women talk about, you know, God, it, God, it went so quickly. How did I get here? Like what happened? Like I was just racing. You know, we think about our twenties as this like clean slate exploration. Then our thirties is like, running, running, running and getting rooted, rooted in families and kids and community and jobs. And then forties is this like hamster wheel. I'm at like my best. I'm at like the pinnacle. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, what happened? Oh, I read that. I read that is different that your twenties, you're just figuring out your thirties are for exploration. Your forties are for finally getting grounded. And then your fifties is for like, yeah, this is who I am. Yeah. And they're all different like versions of that. My word is just a little bit different, but I do think that there's a moment when people wake up, whether you're 46 or 52 and you're like, wait, what happened? Huh? How'd I get here? And there's that morning, right? There's that, that morning piece, like, oh my gosh, where am I going? Who am I? What am I doing? There's like little tiny whisperings of regret or shame or sadness as well as all of the positive stuff. Like, so don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, so One of the questions I ask in the Midlife Truth Project is that what would your 70-year-old self tell you now? Mm -hmm. And it's amazing because the wisdom that women then say, it goes back to, you're doing okay. You're doing great. I'm going to cry. Like, it really is emotional to me. You know, we just have to say, we're doing great. I can't remember what I said. (laughs) I'll go back. I'll find it. We're doing great. One last thing that I thought of. What number are you on your hyper control dial now? Well, I started at probably, if 10 was the highest, I probably started at a 13. So I'd say, I'd say I'm a good six. On any given day, you're a good six? Not on any given day. I'm all over the map, but I'd say on average, I'm, I'm like a six. I'm working towards a four, but okay. I'll probably never be a two. <laughs> all right. I just had a visual of like a bit of a big dial when you said like hyper control and you know how (laughs) how it goes back and forth. And when you're talking about midlife and teenagers, it's like, whoa, it's cranked way up. You want to control everything, but really it's not yours to control. And the sorry, the effed up part of this whole midlife thing is that it's this like as our kids are going through puberty, we're going through midlife, which is adult puberty. Yeah. So it's like it's bananas. I know. It's like it's really yeah. It's not fair. It's not right. Not right. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Last questions. I'm psyched. I'm ready. All I'm right. buckled in. What are you no longer available for? Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Do you have a mantra or a favorite quote? <laughs> well, not a favorite. I heard it this morning 
from my dear friend, Christine. Motion is lotion. Like, oh, uh, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Keep moving. Keep moving, people. Stay curious. Motion is lotion. I just had a visual of a waterbed. I don't know why. (laughs) Oh, that's like motion in the ocean. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. (laughs) What are you reading, watching or listening to right now? I am watching every single documentary I can get my hands on because I'm trying to pitch this documentary. So the latest ones I've watched literally within the last few weeks, I watched Blue Zones with uh, Dan Butner. Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting. I watched How to Change Your Brain with um, Michael Pollan. That's like the whole kind of LSD, psilocybin or psilocybin, however you answer, however you talk to that. It's fascinating. Definitely. It's on Netflix. It's a must watch. I also just have watched other documentaries like Waiting for Superman, which is an old one. Game Changers, a great one on plant-based food. LFG, Let's Fucking Go, which is about the female, the U.S. women's soccer team. Hmm. I think documentaries are a great way, great entertainment that like actually leave you thinking. Yeah. And oh my God. And podcasts. I cannot leave here without saying how much I love Kelly Corgan. She thinks I'm like a weird... I show up at events and I'm like, I like oog, ogle, oogle her. I'm like, hi, it's me again. <laughs> um, she literally is like, oh God, here she comes again. Um, so she has a podcast called Kelly Corgan Wonders. I'm loving Julia Louis-Dreyfus is Wiser Than Me. Oh, I yeah. love that one. Yeah. yeah. So good. I'm trying to work on my relationship with alcohol. So I'm listening to Annie Grace's The Naked Mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a little sprinkling just to throw in a guy because, you know, they... It's hard to be a white guy these days. Um, Peter Atia, he's he's a good one. Awesome. What is your latest luxury for your soul? I wouldn't say latest, but I'd say travel mm. is like just it's so important to remind ourselves that we are just little kind of flex in the big scheme of things. And I hope this doesn't sound like crazy, but I want I think orgasm can be a luxury for the soul. Yes, it can. Hell yeah. I think we I need love to that kind answer. Of I think we have to kind of go there. Let's just go there. Orgasms are good. Self, you know, motivated or or with others. Self-motivated. I love that phrase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. Let's just leave it there. Period. All Mic right. drop. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you to have a well-lived life? A well-lived life. A well-lived life is one that is curious and where one stays interesting and interested throughout. I will say, I don't really believe in legacy. I think, you know, a few generations from now, like, unless you're like really, really big, like people aren't probably going to remember who you are. So I think it's less about legacy. It just seems so overwhelming. I just think if we can have a life well lived is if we can have a positive effect on someone or something every day, just try. Mm-hmm. Just positive effect, smile, a hello, a good thought. Like that's a life well lived. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that answer so much. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Tell our listeners how they can book an interview with you to discuss the midlife. Mm, thank you. I would say, please, number one, follow me on Instagram at Julie Flackstad, F-L-A-K-S-T-A-D. And to sign up, easiest way is to go to julieflaxstad.com. Oh, there's like, it's like a one link to the page. 
And that would be incredible. I would love to spend time with you and connect with women again at the intersection of their 40s and 50s. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really, really nice hour. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you guys are doing great work. I love this guy. I can just like, can I come next week? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning in today. You'll find all of the ways to connect with Julie through the links in the show notes below. If you want to spend more time with us, join our Facebook group for the podcast community, where we post regularly with behind the scenes question prompts for upcoming episodes, good reads, sneak peeks, before episodes air, and our latest luxuries. Also, if you are searching for a personal power object, a good luck charm, or a talisman to shield yourself, I've got you covered. Or if you have a small business or incubating an idea, you can work with Lauren one-on-one for her new consulting service. When it comes to design, branding, marketing, and consistency, we all have our blind spots. Yet sometimes we want someone to listen to our ideas or share valuable insights. Contact Lauren if you would benefit from a fresh set of eyes or a brainstorming partner. If you love these conversations and want to show your support, please leave us that five-star review. Hit the subscribe button for all the luxuries for your soul.